What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast presented by 444.com. I'm your host, Greg Smith. The music on today's show is Pass and Fail by the Heartless Bastards from their 2004 album, Stairs and Elevators. To hear the song in full, plus all the other songs from these episodes of mine, check out the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. Speaking of passing and failing, we're a little beyond draft grades now that we're another week removed from rookies finding their NFL homes, but there's still plenty of draft fallout to react to here on the podcast, and this time around I'm bringing on the man responsible for the draft grades over at The Ringer, Danny Kelly. Follow him on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly, check out the Danacy Football Podcast, and dig into all of his work at TheRinger.com. Danny, the last time we did this was in my pre-4 for 4 days back at 2QBs, but I'm excited to catch up with you and talk fantasy. How's everything going in your little quarantine bubble? Oh, you know, it's going pretty well. Pretty relieved that the draft is coming gone because that was a big, you know, a big grind to kind of get ready for it. And it was really, really fun to see where everybody landed. Now is kind of the fun part where you get to start doing rookie drafts and, and figure out what your actual team is going to look like. So definitely relieved. It's kind of like we're, we're going into summer now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really enjoying the the rookie mock drafts that are flying around everywhere. You and I have been doing a couple of them for the yeah. folks over at Rasball. That's been a good time. But let's start with some bigger picture takeaways from the NFL draft. Like what what was one big ticket item that stood out to you? Big picture, like 30,000 foot thing. I was very, very happy with the landing spots for like all the running backs and a lot of the receivers. It was just like, it felt like a lot of things just really fell into place in terms of fantasy. Like the, a lot of these players have direct lines to a lot of volume and it seems like the fits are all really, really smart. So I guess big picture was there weren't any super disappointing landing spots i guess maybe deandre swift going to the lions you know in the short term is a little bit disappointed but or disappointing but overall you know if if, because i did a lot of drafts before um the nfl draft like in a couple of dynasty leagues and so i I wasn't like super disappointed with anything that kind of that went like down so that was kind of fun and that's kind of contrary to what a lot of us thought the draft was going to be, right? This whole quarantine situation, GMs having to draft remotely. There was this fear that everybody was going to be screwing things up. But I agree with you. It seems yeah. like a lot of these teams really identified the strengths of their franchises and added to those strengths with the players they picked, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's kind of that. that that's along the same lines of like the second point I was going to bring up is that I thought it was also pretty revealing um, for like the direction the NFL is going and kind of just the mindset of NFL teams right now that so many skill players went so early, you know, cause this receiver class in particular got hyped yeah. ridiculously. And I think some people were like in the week or two before the draft were like, Oh, I think maybe receivers are fault will fall a little bit. They won't go as high as everyone expects because teams will see this is such a deep class. But I think, you know, in the end, Teams showed us that they really do value like these really high-level, awesome, explosive receivers. And six receivers went in the first round. I remember doing mock drafts, and people were like, "No way in hell that many <laughs> receivers are going to go in the first round." You know, like the t- the classic response, like "Never going to happen" type thing. But um, so I think that was very revealing that the NFL it was as high on these guys as a lot of the fantasy community and the you know the draft net community were on all these receivers. So that was pretty fun. I noted this on last week's podcast is that it seems like teams are more willing to spread the ball around too with their offense, which if you're going to do that, you need those skill position guys. You need talent at outside receiver, at slot receiver, out of the backfield, at tight end, and you have to pay up to get that sort of talent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got you have three like legit three receivers now you have to have on your team if you're going to be like a really good offense. So um, it's 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 definitely different from the old days where like having one elite receiver was enough. Now. We've talked a lot about teams kind of building on these strengths and and expanding out their offenses with these skill position players. But one of the things I was curious about asking you was the status of these teams that have new coaches and developing identities. Do the draft results tell us anything new about those squads, do you think? I don't know. So a couple teams that sort of stood out to me in this area was were the the Bengals, first of all. Um, I think them grabbing Higgins, you know, obviously they grabbed Burrow, which was the obvious pick, and then grabbing Higgins, turning around and taking Higgins in the second round, when they already have A.J. Green, John Ross, you know, Tyler Boyd, they already have all these, like, high draft picks at the receiver and tight end position, they turn around and still use a very high pick on T. Higgins. To me, that signals, like, 
they understand what the NFL is turning into. Yep. And we have to be able to compete with that. We have to be able to compete with the Kansas cities and Baltimore's of the world and build this juggernaut offense. And that's exactly what they should be doing when you have the best quarterback prospect in X amount of years. How many, how many ever years you, you believe it is? He's obviously a very special prospect at Burrow is. And so to me, that was a little bit revealing. Like Cincinnati understands I guess the direction that the NFL is going and how they should build around Burrow. So that one I thought was very fun and I'm all in on kind of like what Cincinnati's doing. And along the same lines, I thought it was intriguing that the the Cowboys with their new coach, Mike McCarthy and and kind of like they're going through transformation a little bit, but for them to go and get CD lamb, even though I don't know if anyone mocked CD lamb to the, to the Cowboys prior to the draft. I'm not sure I saw a mock draft do that. It was a bit surprising, but at the same time, you know, it's on the it's on the same lines. Like they're gonna build this buzzsaw offense, and their defense is is gonna be whatever it is, and not necessarily elite, not ne- not necessarily terrible, but having this elite offense with this, you know, ascending quarterback and and so many good weapons in that offense, it's just gonna make them so dangerous. So I thought just like doubling down on offense, I think for those two teams in particular, and then. Another one was the Broncos that that I was going to bring up too, and the Broncos feel like a little bit more of a shift. Those other teams, like I knew that they were going to be stronger on offense than defense, but the Broncos, and they've done this over the years. Like if you go back, John Elway absolutely loaded up on offense when he when he convinced Peyton Manning to come. Like they had so many good offensive weapons, they were an offense heavy team. At that point, they were like the greatest scoring offense in NFL history when they had Wes Welker and and all those those weapons in that offense. Um, Peyton Manning, I think, threw 55 touchdowns that year, blah, blah, blah. But then they got annihilated by the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, which I think was a big signal to Elway, like defense does matter or whatever. I don't, you know, like, I don't know exactly what if that was the <laughs> catalyst or not, but Elway immediately shifted and spent like incredible amounts of cash and their cap and everything building this elite defense. And that elite defense is what got them the Super Bowl a couple of years later. Now it looks like they're shifting back to this buzzsaw offense, um, you know, going and getting Judy in the first round, KJ Hamlin, the second, they got Fant last year. They already have Cortland Sutton, who's an ascending superstar. I don't know exactly what Locke is going to do. I'm, I'm actually probably a little bit more bullish on him than some people, but the weapons that they're building, the weapons that they're putting together around Locke, signal to me like that Elway and company or whatever are, are all in on like turning that offense back into like the the juggernaut that they had a couple of years ago so I thought that was very fascinating those three teams in particular yeah that Denver skill position group like their receivers their running backs it's pretty intriguing I really like it but while you're yeah. a little bullish on Drew Locke I'm pretty bearish on him I'm just not sure he's the guy yeah. who's going to unlock all those players that worries me uh, I love that you brought up the Cowboys. That C.D. Lamb pick did stand out. It had to be in part despite the Eagles who were picking shortly after them. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what Lamb can do in that offense. I'm excited to see what that offense can do. And we're going to talk more later in the show about which offenses to target. And the Cowboys are definitely going to figure prominently into that discussion. Getting back to the Bengals. The other thing I'd like about that T. Higgins pick is that it lines up career-wise with Joe Burrow, right? These these guys are drafted in the same year. They get to grow up together, essentially, in that offense. And I think it does show a a good long-term view from this Bengals organization that hasn't always been there. And uh, I think it's a good sign for them in the future. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Bengals have not been, I guess, the most smartly run organization over the years but yeah like I, I like that a lot I think it's really funny like Higgins goes from, from catching passes you know from Lawrence to right into Burrow um that's just a fun little transition for him you know just like from the college football landscape type thing but must be nice right uh, yeah it's like man that guy's living a blessed existence um it's gonna be a lot it's just gonna be a lot of fun man to watch that team and Mixon too is like still an ascending running back so they've got some weapons I have Mixon on one of my dynasty teams, and he's one of the players I continuously get bombarded with offers for, <laughs> and it always feels like I'm not getting offered enough. And this is just like classic dynasty football brain, you know, right, like right. my guys are my guys, right? I don't want to part with them unless like the offer is ridiculous. And I, I'm curious what you think his value is relative to maybe some of the other wide receivers out there, you know, the veteran guys. Like if we pull up 
some dynasty rankings. He's probably going to be in that range of, you know, the wide receiver five to wide receiver 10, I would say, like maybe a Mike Evans type dynasty asset. Like what's your evaluation of Joe Mixon long term? Because running backs tend to have a short shelf life and he's still super young. But I'm curious, like, is he going to be the next guy to get, you know, Melvin Gordon or Mm. uh, or or whatever, you know, just pushed out by an, an even younger player? It's so hard with that because there's also now like whispers that he's going to be holding out potentially to start the year. Right. And so is he going to, like you said, the Melvin Gordon thing, is he going to go down that path or the Le'Veon Bell thing where, you know, he's like trying to force his hand, he sits out and, and, and it just kind of hurts his value long term. I don't know. Like of all the young running backs, of all the guys that are at least in their second or third year, I think he's still ascending whereas a lot of the other guys i'm like as you start as soon as you start getting close to your fifth year or fourth year that cliff starts kind of like getting very nerve-wracking i think as like a dynasty owner and so um like a guy like leonard fournette right now like sure. what do you do with fournette oh i have him on the same roster actually <laughs> please tell me what to do with him <laughs> i know it's like it's it's very nerve-wracking his 50-year option is off the table at this point now they're trying to trade him. Like it doesn't seem like any team wants him. And so now, after being, you know, a top ten guy last year and getting whatever it is, seventy six catches, and it seems like he's ascending. It seems like he's finally coming into his own. Now he's like, I don't know if you can trade him. Like no one wants to trade for this guy, right? And so, or at least no one's going to trade what he his value is based on last year, if that makes any sense. And so, totally, uh, Mixon to me is still far and away. High, uh, on a different plane than that like um you know in one of my leagues he got traded just a few weeks ago for two first round picks you know one this year one next year so that tells you like people are still very high on Mixon. it helps that he's a little bit younger it helps that he's getting into this offense with an elite what we think will be an elite quarterback going forward like that's the guy that's those are the types of guys you want to buy in on early before they get totally way too expensive or whatever so i would put him in that tier with you know like the cooks and stuff i i i'm still a little nervous about dalvin cook just health wise obviously he was able to stay healthy for the most part last year and and show what he can do but honestly all running backs in dynasty like make me nervous (laughs) totally no and that's exactly why i asked the question because i'm in that mode now where i'm afraid that the mix and share I have now is going to turn into like a year from now is going to turn into the four net share I have right now. Yep. And I, do I need to get out ahead of that? I'm not sure. And what I keep coming back to is that idea that you brought up of him coming into this ascending offense, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. And that's why I am still going to be bullish on his value. I'm not going to give him up unless I get bowled over with an offer. Whereas Leonard Fournette, you offer me like, a solid starting wide receiver on a good offense. Like I'd probably pull the trigger on that because who yeah. knows if he's even going to be getting the bulk of his team's carries in a year. It's, it's really hard to say. Yeah. yeah. Just in general, Danny, what is the best piece of advice you think you can give to fantasy owners as we're all reacting or overreacting to the draft? So I was thinking about this and, and I guess the thing that I would say, the lesson that I think could be learned, especially from last year is don't, overreact to landing spot if that makes any sense like i remember last year being very disappointed that aj brown went to the titans and i ultimately have zero aj brown shares which is massively disappointing because i just thought you know they're a low volume offense we don't know the quarterback situation like Mariota wasn't very good at that point we didn't really know what he was going to do like there was just not a lot of confidence in that offense overall he's going to be playing you know, with with uh, Corey Davis, and there's just a lot of question marks about the landing spot. And like, literally, less than a year later, like half a season later, he's an elite, elite receiver. <laughs> you know, asset. And so, I guess, I guess maybe like the lesson would be like, look at C.D. Lamb. People are a little disappointed because of his landing spot. Like, he's behind two good receivers and Gallup and um, Amari Cooper. And there's not like maybe like a really obvious path to elite volume. And frankly, Brown doesn't have elite volume either, but he's he is really quickly become the number one there. And so I guess I, I would just say, like, don't overreact to landing spot. Keep your evaluations in mind. Remember your evaluations. Remember who you thought was like the best players. And because a lot of times, you know, the landing spot will will look very different in a year or two. And, you know, a lot of these receivers are going to play for 10 plus years. So you just want those long term guys that are just going to be studs for a decade. 
I, DK Metcalf is the same deal. Like when he sure. landed with the Seahawks, low volume passing offense, blah, 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 behind a couple guys. People were seemingly pretty down on him. He fell to the late second round. There's all these factors, but like CD or DK Metcalf is like a freak. So the cream rises to the top, I guess, is like a, a way to put it. And, and I think that will be true like with both Judy and Lamb this year, where you know you, people are kind of disappointed by the landing spots. Like they're not ideal landing spots necessarily. Um, but I think the players in the end will end up bearing out like their talent will, will end up beating out like the, I guess, like suboptimal landing spots. Yeah. And thankfully, the consensus is pretty sharp on that stuff. If you look at ADP for rookie drafts, you're still going to see Lamb and Judy at the top of the wide receiver food chain. I think that you can lean on the wisdom of the market, the wisdom of the community in some of these cases, especially up at the top. And that's why I'm still a little bullish on DeAndre Swift, who you mentioned earlier as maybe being the one running back who got a bad landing spot. I'm going to buy into your advice right now, and I'm not going to overreact to that because yeah. a year from yeah. now, Kerryon Johnson could be gone, yeah. and DeAndre Swift was uber-talented. He was the highest rookie running back on a lot of people's boards before the draft. We shouldn't forget that, and I think that's a really good piece of advice. Now, I want to dig into wide receivers with you and try trying to figure out how to break ties between all those guys who are so densely packed, but before we get to wide receiver, I want to talk about non-fantasy players, like players who are not quarterbacks or running backs, wide receivers or tight ends. Which one of those rookies or, or a couple of those rookies do you think are going to have the biggest impact on fantasy in 2020? I think the two guys that really come to mind are Andrew Thomas, who went to the Giants, and Jedrick Wills, who went to the Browns. Yes. Those two guys stand out to me as like day one impact players that are going to influence the entire offenses that they're going to. Obviously, with Thomas, Saquon Barkley has a chance to get back to what he was doing as a rookie. You know, his sophomore year wasn't that ter- wasn't terrible, but like he, he has the elite, elite upside. Maybe that can help him kind of get unlocked there. And then I'm just really excited to see kind of what Wills brings to the Browns. You know, obviously they're going to be a very, very run-heavy team. I think, you know, going to like the the Vikings mold where they're run game, play action, all that. Like it has a chance to unlock Chubb, Kareem Hunt, both the receivers, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, the tight ends in that offense. Like all of it kind of is linked to the offensive line. So the the ripple effect that he could have as the left tackle there is potentially really big. So I think, you know, those two guys certainly came to mind. It's just like the boring trenches things, but like it could have a big impact on the overall offense, overall efficiency and effectiveness of the offense. Yeah, I love Cleveland trying to build out their resurgence from the offensive line, you know, outward. It makes a lot of sense considering those weapons you talked about. I just really want to see that kind of post-hype breakout for Baker Mayfield and the Browns yeah. offense that we expected yeah. last year. I think it could be coming now. And if it does come, Jedrick Willis Jr. will be a big part of that. On the defensive side of the ball, I, I do want to throw a you know a mention to Chase Young here going to Washington. He's yeah. viewed as that sure thing type of prospect, and now he gets to anchor the defense for a defensive-minded head coach in Ron Rivera. Washington should go from being an afterthought last season to a viable streaming defense in 2020, if not one that you could start every week, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I to be honest with you, I don't play a lot of t- <laughs> I don't play in a lot of leagues with defense. Um, I need to follow that more closely, but that front seven is like going to be freakishly good. It really reminds me of what the 49ers did last year in, in, in mm-hmm. adding uh, Nick Bosa, like how he was just a catalyst for turning a, a, a team that had a good amount of talent on it, which I think the, the Redskins do have right now um, into like an elite defense, if that makes any sense. So like, I think he can be that catalyst to, to you know, not only bring his ability to put up stats for himself, but like elevate the guys around him. Yeah, it makes sense. Now let's get into the wide receivers. Uh, just in general, how do you keep a level head about these prospects when most <laughs> rookie hard. analysis focuses on the positive attributes of those players, right? Like what's your approach to weaving in some amount of pessimism? Because I'll be honest, pessimism is my default setting. I'm a very skeptical person in general. <laughs> yeah. And I think it helps me in my fantasy analysis. It's kind of sick, but I kind of want to hate all players. And then when it's time to make a decision between different guys in a draft, I go with the one I hate the least, right? I find the guy who yeah. I can poke the fewest holes in and that's my, that's my pick. How do you approach this you know, idea of pessimism when you're evaluating rookies, especially at the wide receiver position? Yeah, that's that's a challenge for me because I'm kind of the opposite. I'm always sort of of the mindset, like, tell me what they can do, not what they can't do type thing as I'm going through and watching these guys. And it's easy to sort of visualize where these guys can win in the NFL. But at the same time, you have to think of 
ways that they can lose. I think, you know, a couple of lessons from last year that I think can come in handy are, you know, can they get off press? That's important in the NFL. Can they separate in the NFL? And what skill sets are important? I guess like the, the J uh, I guess failure it, so far anyway, that, that we, that we saw for um, him in Philly is like, I got very much caught up in his ability to like win the jump balls and like go up and, and win jump balls, but then kind of forget that, you know, he can't necessarily separate or, you know, there's a reason he's winning a bunch of jump balls. Like he's just not getting open. So those are things that you kind of have to remember. I think every year you do it, you learn more lessons about like what works and what doesn't work in the NFL. Like are guys reliable? Do they have, you know, hands I don't think are like the most important thing, but like, are they reliable? Are they where they're supposed to be? Are they on the same page with their quarterback? There's a lot of plays where you're like, you see the quarterback and the receiver, like completely on different page, I guess. And so like those kind of things I look for and I'm like, how is this guy just consistently not in the right place or does their offense suck? It's you have to kind of like parse the reasons for some of those plays, but yeah, long story short is like, you know, the ability to get off a press and get off the line of scrimmage and get downfield, not get held up by the cornerback, I think is important. And then the ability to like run routes. The other thing that I'm like very big on is athleticism and, and movement skills just in general. Mm-hmm. Like if these guys have juice, you know, in their routes early on or late explosiveness, agility, body control, things like that. I look for it really closely and that kind of like weighs heavily for my overall grade like if they have those movement skills that that explosiveness and suddenness i guess and if guys don't have it it, it's worrisome so how do you quantify that though are you looking at 40 time 10 yard split three cone drill like what are the standout measures or metrics or is it just something you have to kind of get a feel for as you watch these guys play in college i think it's both generally like i feel like you can see it on tape but like the the testing is definitely like a good way to confirm kind of what your eyes are saying because your eyes can lie Mm -hmm. but yeah i think generally like some of the stuff like movement and change of direction it doesn't necessarily always translate to the testing like three cone is helpful and and the short shuttle is helpful but it's not necessarily like football movements if that makes any sense they're not reacting to anything right (laughs) yeah so I don't know. It, those things matter. But I think you have to take both into account. I guess like one example of a guy that I'm very high on that I know the the analytics and fantasy community are hot and cold on. There's some people that like him a lot. The NFL seems to just like him a lot more. But that's uh, Ayuk from, from San Francisco. I'm all in. Are you? Yeah. I, I mean, th- that that's one where like the landing spot just set it off for me. I'm just I'm super excited to see what he can do with Shanahan. To me, it's perfect, but, like, I loved him on tape. I was actually very skeptical going into, like, when I was going to sit down and watch him because, like, you see, like, I, I always do a little bit of research on, like, the analytical side of it, like his stats and, like, breakout age, all that stuff, dominator rating, all that. You know, obviously he sat behind, or he didn't sit behind, but he didn't, he, he wasn't a big factor behind uh, Nikhil Harry last year. He's an older breakout guy. He's a Juco transfer, all that stuff. But when I turned on the tape, I was like, this guy is sudden, explosive, twitched up. The way he moves, I was just like, yes, this guy is really, really athletic, really explosive. Like the body type translates to the NFL. His movement skills translate. He's a very good returner. Um, so I think all those skills, like, yeah, he's a little bit raw. But like you said, this, the landing place, the landing spot is perfect because he's going to get schemed up, touches. Like Shanahan, like Shanahan's going to give him every chance to succeed. So, yeah, I think like he's a guy that I'm like a little bit higher on than than most people, I think. So this brings me back to that first question I asked you about this. Like you, we just explained all the reasons why we are excited about Brandon Ayuk with the 49ers. If we have to knock him for something, like if we have to be pessimistic about what could go wrong, what do you think it is for him? Is it just the the rawness, the not having a real offseason, just time to get integrated? Is it something else? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's the rawness. I think it's, um, you know, he. I still think he probably has to learn like a more complete route tree and just be more precise as a route runner. All those things are certainly meaningful, and he. I think he still has a lot to prove, you know, going into the NFL in all those areas. But I mean, honestly, like some of these concerns are exactly what I had with Depot Samuel last year, and you know, he landed in a perfect spot, perfect location for his skill set, and I think Ayuk did too. So. Um, I'll be surprised if, if Ayuk is like a slow starter, at least in that offense, just because I think they'll scheme up ways 
to get him involved. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be an elite fantasy asset because the offense is just so low volume in passing and they're so hell bent on running. But I do think he'll be, you know, a factor early on in his career because of, you know, his skill set, the way that they can scheme him up. Yeah, the lesson here might just be to trust the Niners when they go out and get a wide receiver because Kyle Shanahan is going to have some input there. He knows how to scheme up good offense, and those guys are good fits. Now, on that note, how much do you care about that idea of teams being, quote-unquote, good at evaluating certain positions? Like, I feel like the most famous example of that is the Steelers over the past however many years, but some of their more recent wide receiver picks haven't panned out quite as well as, say, Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, right? Right. With that in mind, like which teams do you trust the most to evaluate wide receivers, and how does that translate to fantasy for you? I still trust the Steelers, honestly, even though they've had a few misses. I mean, every team has a few misses. Um, but just their track record of finding guys and, and fitting guys into their offense has been so, so good over the years that you know you can't expect anyone to get all of them right. I'd say the Cowboys have proven to be pretty good at it, too, honestly. You know, there's, there's not necessarily them drafting but them evaluating and how they evaluate quarterbacks obviously they salvaged Amari Cooper's career and because I remember when he when they traded a first round pick like me included like people were like thought that was hilarious that's a lot it's a lot (laughs) like we're like you idiots what are you doing you know what I mean like but he's like an elite receiver and they saw that and he's like a great route runner and they saw that so anyways Gallup you know you know another guy that they had a good eye for you know you go back further Dez and um, even like um, Miles Austin, just sure. there's a long line of, of good receivers that they've managed to like identify and, and bring into their offense. Of course, they have misses along the way, too. But yeah, one of the low key ones for me, and I'm I'm still warming up to this idea, but it might the Jaguars might be on that list for me. And oh, for that reason, I might just be all in on LaVisca Chenault as well. Kind of like the Steelers. <laughs> I've just come to love their evaluations because you look back at their track record under general manager David Caldwell And they've hit to some extent on Marquise Lee and Allen Robinson in 2014, D.D. Westbrook in 2017, and D.J. Chark in 2018. Now, admittedly, Lee and Westbrook were more of, you know, the solid contact type of hits, while A-Rob and Chark were the extra basers, right? But you you get the point. The track record in the recent years for the Jags is good to great without ever spending a first rounder on a wide receiver. These guys were all drafted later than that. So when they dropped another second round pick in this past draft, this most recent draft, on Chenault, that did catch my attention. The biggest concern with Chenault Mm -hmm. is his injury history, but I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to put a ton of stock into predicting his future ailments. And others might point to Chenault's lack of production in his final college season, but from everything I've read, it seems he was really held back by his offense. He still commanded a large portion of Colorado's workload, and all indications are that he has what it takes to be a wide receiver one or wide receiver two in the NFL. So I'm pretty excited about him, and it's in part because the Jaguars have had some success drafting that position in recent years. Yeah, I really like Chanel also. I think he's a guy that I've been scooping up in a couple different leagues just because he falls into like the mid to late second round, Yeah, which to me is kind of crazy because coming out of last year, people were talking about him as a first round pick, you know, this elite, elite athleticism, elite skill set, size, everything. So he's one of those guys, it's obviously a risk and every player, you know, that you're picking in the second round is a risk, honestly, but in, in rookie drafts, I mean, but I just think his upside is there. His upside is so scintillating and interesting and, and, you know, there's a path for him pretty early on in his career to get a lot of volume, too. Like, especially if they're moving on from Fortnite, where they could use him in wildcat formations and, and, and use his skill set, like, in the red zone. That, to me, is very, very interesting. So I, I'm, an, I'm a big, I'm also a big Chanel guy. I kind of just think that it's worth the risk of that area. Yeah, I agree with you. And speaking to that point about him sliding into the middle of the second round, it does feel like there's a list of maybe like 15 to 17 rookies that you can actually get excited about drafting this season. And it it has a lot to do with the hype that we're putting into this wide receiver class in general. Like after the top eight guys are off the board, there's still a bunch of really intriguing wide receivers like Chanel, like Ayuk, like Michael Pittman Jr. Like the list goes on Denzel Mims, T Higgins, like these guys, there's so many of them that some of them can't help but fall into the second round, especially because a lot of people are going to be going running back early with you know the the big guys at the top and maybe your uh, even Keyshawn Vaughn as well. It, it does seem like there's a drop off though after maybe like the two o four, the two o five. So so be mindful of that when you're drafting and be aggressive if you if you're 
set on getting one of those difference makers or, or perceived to be difference makers at wide receiver among the rookie class, be willing to trade up if you're down at like 208 or something like that. Yeah, there's definitely a cliff there. Like first round, I'd say if you're in Superflex, for instance, the first nine picks are like easy. Yes. <laughs> like all of them are really freaking good. Take your pick. You could maybe even say like 10 or 11 if you include Jefferson and Rager. But yeah, then like that second little tier is still really, really exciting. And I think you could add a guy like even like Brian Edwards or if you're really high on Claypool, maybe even throw him up there. He's probably more of like a third round pick right now that you can steal. But yeah, the, that set, that like second round, early second round is super, super interesting too. Yeah. And Claypool, one of those guys who was drafted by the Steelers, right? One of these teams that we've put our trust in when it comes to evaluating that position. Now, what about the opposite end of the spectrum? Which team do you trust the least for wide receiver <laughs> evaluations? I mean, this is a total cliche, but the Patriots, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like... Pour dirt on him, man. It's time. Personally, like, I don't buy into the organizational... Like, they have, like, a receiver whisperer somewhere in the in the front office. I think a lot of it has to do with the quarterback situation. Sure. In fact, I probably would just say buy into the quarterback more. Like, Roethlisberger has made some some receivers in his career. Or not made them, but like the connection with Roethlisberger has been a super huge factor in all that. And then on the other side, like the fact that they have Brady and they've missed on so many freaking receivers, it's like, what are the Patriots doing? I just don't understand it. (laughs) Like, what is going? What is going wrong in these evaluations? Maybe it was Brady that like they just needed to find the right guys for Brady, where you know they're in the right place at the right time exactly, and they have a really complicated offense or something like that. But but those aren't rookies, man. I don't know. So, like, the fact that they have a good quarterback and they've missed – they have a good quarterback. They have the best quarterback ever and they've (laughs) missed, you know, so many receivers. I thought that – to me, that's, like, a little more illuminating than some of these other teams, like, making good receivers because they have an elite quarterback that, like, just gets them the ball where they need to be, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I guess what I would say is that it seems like Brady doesn't want or didn't want to work with guys who weren't ready to contribute right away. Like even you look at the trade they made last year for Mohamed Sanu. Mohamed Sanu is not an exciting up and coming player. They probably traded for him because they felt that he was going to be reliable. You know, somebody that Brady could trust to be in the right place at the right time. And if you're drafting rookie wide receivers, wide receivers really hard to play in the NFL. And, And no matter which rookies you bring in, there are very few, if any, are going to be able to have that overall knowledge of the game that Tom Brady has in year one. So I think expecting them to just suddenly get on the same page with him, if he's going to be that, I I don't want to call him difficult because that's cliche as well, but (laughs) that difficult to work with, like it just doesn't make sense to me. And so maybe it is on him and not on the team, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see what Nikhil Harry can do this year. Um, Yeah. But for, for me, the team that I've come to, to really worry about when it comes to these wide receiver valuations is the Vikings. And on that note, I'm wondering if it could be smart to fade Justin Jefferson to some extent, Mm. who they drafted with the 22nd pick overall. The last early round pick that the Vikings spent a wide receiver was the 23rd pick in 2016 on Laquan Treadwell. They hit on on Stefan Diggs the previous year in the fifth round, but I have to stretch to deem any of Rick Spielman's other wide receiver picks as good. In his tenure since 2006, Diggs is the only true hit from the draft. The next best guys going backward for the Vikings were Corderell Patterson in 2013, Jarius Wright in 2012, Percy Harvin in 2009, Sidney Rice in 2007. Admittedly, like those guys, most of them were decent at times or good at times, but none of them really panned out in the long term like you might expect when you're spending a first or second rounder on these guys. And all of them were first or second rounders except for Jarius Wright. And yeah, they found Adam Thielen undrafted, but he was a local guy who kind of fell into their lap. So as great as the immediate opportunity will be for Justin Jefferson, I don't know how much trust we should put in the Vikings evaluation for him because we have other questions about Jefferson as well, right? Like how much was it, will he play in the slot in the NFL? That was primarily where he was used in college. It's also where Adam Thielen has found the most success. Can Jefferson be productive if he's forced to play outside? I don't know. Also, how much was Jefferson propped up by the insane amount of offensive talent around (laughs) him at LSU? Like it's really hard to quantify that stuff. All these elements of Jefferson's profile on top of that skepticism I have about Minnesota's ability to scout wide receivers it makes me really nervous about Jefferson as a dynasty prospect, but what do you think about him? I mean, I think all those points are certainly valid and, and something to chew on when you're making all your picks. Ultimately, like every player and every person is different. So like I just I don't put a ton of stock in I guess like the history of, of a team's 
choices at the position, I guess. And, and a few of those, honestly, like Sidney Rice and Percy Harvin, they were pretty, yeah, they were pretty good. damn good. So like, if I'm just like looking at it without the history involved, like I really liked Jefferson before the draft, and I think he has, you know, a skill set to really thrive in the NFL. My question, and I think is is the same as your question, is like, what is what is his role in year one? Like, what does he do? Because he's a little bit redundant with Adam Thielen. Like you said, he's much more comfortable in the slot. He played on the outside the year before, but um, was clearly like an elite player playing in the slot. That's just like his comfort zone. It's, it fits his skill set. His his route running ability is ability to go up in traffic, his fearlessness over the middle, all that stuff, like perfect fit for the middle. Um, but they're this two tight end team that runs a lot of like, you know, just two receiver sets. So you're not going to have like a ton of opportunities to get Justin Jefferson, like really in the slot where you've got a guy on the outside of him too. So it's, it's definitely a huge question mark. And in the post game presser or the post uh, draft pressers and stuff like that, I don't remember them saying much about like those concerns. Like it just, it almost felt like they didn't think of it. I, I like, you know what I mean? Like, it, they didn't have like a really good answer for not a great sign where he was going to play. I guess like they say, oh yeah, he'll play on the outside, but I don't know. It just didn't really feel like that was like a huge factor for them. So it's certainly a, a big question mark going forward. All that said, I do like Jefferson as a prospect a lot. I think he's going to be a good player, but it might might take maybe like he's going to have an opportunity for volume in year one, but it might take a while for him to kind of get settled into like what he's really best at. And that's in the slot, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and the volume is, in theory, going to be there. And that usually tends to drive production. So we, you can pin your hopes to that for sure. Um, Danny, are there any rookie wide receivers who you think are being significantly undervalued by the Dynasty Hive Mind? Like guys that you would rank significantly higher than where ADP or rankings typically have them pegged? Yeah, so I think we've talked about them already. I think the two guys that I've kind of thought are falling a little bit are Brandon Ayuk and LaVisca Chenault. The other one I think I would throw in there is Brian Edwards, who I think is a really good player. And he mostly fell into the third round because of like injuries and things like that. You know, it just had a, it was like a confluence of events that he missed the senior bowl, he missed the combine. Um, then they had the COVID thing that you, know, you couldn't really do the pro days or whatever. So he just kind of fell off the radar where all these other guys like Mims really moved up. But I think he's a good, solid, strong outside X type player. And he could surprise some people in Vegas. I think his skill set matches up really well with what Derek Carr does. You know, obviously they got they took rugs in the first round as the first receiver off the board, and that's really really exciting. But I think that Edwards has a path to like being a big target in the red zone and being a big target on third downs and being like just that possession receiver that they really need, the guy that they really can trust to be like strong in his routes and all that stuff. So, you know, he's going I guess late second round ish. Sometimes third, I think in our in our Rasball one, he went in the third round. I was very shocked to see that. So he to me seems like a guy that people are undervaluing. Yeah, I almost took him at the end of the second round in that mock, but I drafted a wide receiver in the first round, and I wanted to go with a running back in the second. So I passed over Edwards and expected him to go yeah. with maybe one of the next two or three picks. And yeah, he almost got back to me. It was insane. Yeah. Um, Digging a little deeper into these rookie mocks, one of the players I keep getting drawn to is Devin DuVernay of the Ravens. Mm -hmm. And you look at his measurables, they look good. And I just can't help but love that landing spot with Baltimore because they don't have any really trustworthy wide receivers after Hollywood Brown. So I can see DuVernay contributing right away. Now, I said I can't help but love him and love the landing spot. But that's because I haven't been able to help it in past years with Miles Boykin or Brashad Perriman, right? Both of those guys also crushed the combine even more than DeVernay did, then went on to really disappoint in their first seasons with the Ravens. So right. maybe I'm just tilting at windmills looking for fantasy value from these young receiving prospects in Baltimore. But here I am again, you know, ready to make the same mistake with Devin DeVernay. Do you like him at all? I do. I think he's interesting. He wasn't in my top 100, to be honest, but I think his speed and his skill set and his ability to like, do different things in, in like you know gadgets type type plays or whatever will will be something that's very very interesting. And the landing spot is is what excites me the more right. about this. You know Willie Sneed got 46 targets last year and five touchdowns, so you could pretty much easily see uh, Duvernay kind of like sliding into that role over the middle. I don't know if they're going to change things up much because they traded Hurst. If they're going to do more like. 11 personnel or what i don't know exactly how that's going to change anything because they they were a very t- too tight end heavy thing they still have nick boyle but 
it's going to be very interesting to see like how he gets incorporated into that offense. But like, the, frankly, they just don't have good talent at the receiver position. So he could step into a pretty big role early on. And that would help open up things for Mar- Marquise Brown a little bit too, I think. You know, he can move mm-hmm. around and play on the outside, play deep again. Overall, like it's fun on a football level because the Ravens already are like one of the most exciting offenses in the NFL. Now they're loading up on speed guys. They got J.K. Dobbins. They got Duvernay. They have all these exciting weapons that they can incorporate into their very unique offense. And so I think it's very, very exciting. And, and I think Boykin will probably, you know, make a bit of a jump in his second year. I don't know if he's necessarily like, ever going to be an elite guy but i think he he had enough flashes last year that make me think he's going to be kind of like a good sort of in that possession receiver type thing the red zone type guy yeah the tools were there for him the whole time and it's just one of those things where we've all moved on and i think that that's something we need to be wary of right so when you look back at players drafted before 2020 maybe in 2019 or 2018 do you think that fantasy owners might have moved on from any other guys a little bit too quickly like we might be doing with miles boykin (laughs) yeah i'm very much i'm still sort of like holding out hope for hakeem butler in arizona (laughs) i know that's probably like terrible and stupid of me to do but he's he's one of the guys like that kind of had in mind when you talk about players that couldn't really uh separate or couldn't really get off the line really easily cleanly and everything like that like he, he had so many warning signs going into the draft but at the same time like his skill set was very fun and like he's like incredible deep speed incredible after the catch huge size like all these things there's a reason so many people were so high on him last year you know going into the draft Um, a lot of people had him as like their number one receiver you know there's there's a reason for all these things it wasn't like people were just like completely blind that being said like obviously he missed his whole first season they redshirted him um there's no real indication from the team that they're high on him at this point he was a fourth rounder so you know, there's there's tons of tons of things that are sort of standing in his way, and and ninety ninety percent of the time, like these guys never end up working out. But <laughs> for some reason, I'm just like, I really liked him, and and it's I'm like hoping that he'll somehow like make a big bounce back this next year, and like in that in that car uh, in that Cardinals offense, like sure, I feel like any anything is possible. I mean, they still need dudes. They still were playing with like all these random guys last year. Getting DeAndre Hopkins obviously huge for him. Um, actually, I'd put Andy Isabella in the same category, like both him and Butler. I was just like, man, if they're they're playing Demir Bird and Farrell Cooper and all these guys last year, and their two highest drafted receivers are just sitting on the bench. So I don't know. I Those are two guys that come to mind. The other guy that, that comes to mind, I think that people are sort of sleeping on is Paris Campbell. You know, obviously there's a different quarterback. You now they got Phillip Rivers. He was dealing with injuries throughout his whole rookie season it seemed like and, and every time he kind of started to pick up a little bit of momentum he'd, he'd end up getting hurt or whatever so the speed and athleticism and skill set i think are still there and i think they're going to try and give him a chance to like be a big contributor in that offense so i guess those three guys would be the first ones that come to mind and full disclosure like a lot mo- like all three of them probably have greater odds of completely just being busts but Sure. I'm still holding out hope, I guess. Who would who would the corollaries be for those guys in this year's draft? Like a year from now, who might you look back at at the mm. wide receiver position and say, Oh man, like I should have seen this coming because this is exactly what happened to Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella, or this is exactly what happened to Paris Campbell. Like do you think that like in, in Campbell's case, I think it's one of those things where he disappointed in year one, but I we can we can be optimistic for him in year two. It's a, a yeah. good lesson in patience. Whereas with the Arizona guys I lean towards the latter half of your argument. Like, I think those guys are probably just toast from a fantasy perspective, unless <laughs> yeah. DeAndre Hopkins or Christian Kirk gets hurt. You know what I mean? Right. Um, let's see. I don't know. That's a very good question. Because I think this class is just so much better than last year's class in terms of the receivers. So I don't want to say any of these guys, really. Um, I guess I'm looking at, like, everyone's got really, really, really high hopes for Rager. And... I'm very interested to see what happens with him. I'm actually, I'm very high on him. Like I would take him in the first round of a super flex or whatever and be happy about it. But he's still got a couple of veterans in front of him, you know, assuming they play Alshon Jeffrey and Sean Jackson. Um, you know, they did a lot of 12 personnel last year. That's not necessarily what they want to do this year in terms of, you know, maybe they'll want to do more 11 personnel and get three receivers on the, on the field at the same time. 
But I guess for, for whatever reason, I'm like, it wouldn't be like a huge shock to me if he kind of plays an ancillary role in that offense and people are all like bummed out about it halfway through the year or something like that. So I don't know. He's just one guy that I guess comes to mind. But um, that being said, I do really like him. Yeah, I look at Nikhil Harry from last year, too, as another type of player who is really falling down rankings this year. I mean, justifiably, he didn't do much last yeah. year. He really struggled to get up to speed, both in terms of health and that rapport with Tom Brady. And I'm trying to correlate that to this year. And if I look for current rookies who have those health concerns as they enter the league, I, we're looking at Chenault. We're looking at Brian Edwards. Yep. Yep. And that issue of developing chemistry has the potential to affect every pass catcher in this class because of the quarantine situation we're all living in. So, yeah, I think I think that's one to look at. If I go back a couple years, um, back to the t- 2018 draft, a couple that stood out to me, one of them was Ronald Jones. And maybe yes. he was just a little too young and immature when he was drafted. Maybe it was just a bad evaluation by Tampa. John Daigle brought him up as a guy to maybe buy back into on last week's episode. Where do you stand on Ronald Jones? <laughs> I almost jotted him down. Uh, it's funny because I feel like I'm kind of, being a Keyshawn Vaughn hater a little bit because <laughs> I guess I'm just like I, I'm not feeling all the hype for him. I, you know, I might end up regretting that, and he might end up being amazing and the next coming of David Johnson and whatever. But like when I watched him on tape, he didn't really stand out to me. I thought he was kind of in the in the Jag spectrum, just like you know, a guy who can. He's a lunch pail guy who can run downhill and he can make people miss a little bit, but he didn't strike me as like super explosive or loose or whatever. He did land in a good spot, but. I'm yeah, I'm sort of, I guess, on the the Ronald Jones truther train a little bit like he to me, he looked really good and, and uh, at least relative to how he did as a rookie last year. You know, he definitely turned it on a little bit as the season went on, um, showed some elusiveness, showed some ability to kind of run up in the in between the tackles. And he's still there. He's actually younger than Keyshawn Vaughn. That that doesn't necessarily mean anything at the rece- at the running back position just because. Ultimately, it's probably going to come down to like who Brady trusts and who Brady wants on the field. Sure, but I think we're writing him off a little bit. Like people, the the fantasy community just seems to kind of hate Ronald Jones, and and I think that's driving, I guess, a lot of the Keyshawn Vaughn love, which I understand um, because the landing spot is great. Like if you get into an offense with Tom Brady and he's passing you the ball all the time, like that's fantasy gold. That's that's you know James White all over again. But I, I'm a little bit, again, kind of holding out hope that I think Ronald Jones can can end up being better than what he was, certainly as a rookie, and then even better than he was last year, too. And it wasn't like they spent like a really high pick on Vaughn. Like, third-round pick is not nothing, but it's also not like, you know, it's not like a first-round pick where you're like, okay, this guy's going to be a starter for sure. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, another guy who stood out to me from that 2018 class is Dante Pettis. It just seems like he ended up in his coach's doghouse. And yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, do you, one, do you think there's any chance he could be successful with a new team? And two, are there any players from the 2020 class that might have, and I'm not saying Dante Pettis has quote unquote character concerns, but you know we hear about that stuff in the draft process a lot. Are there any rookie running backs, wide receivers who did have those sorts of character issues potentially that could hamper their ability to get on the field once they've hit the NFL. I mean, you're plugged in, Danny. What have you heard? Give us the dirt. <laughs> I mean, well, staying staying in Tampa Bay, like the Tyler Johnson pick is very interesting, I guess, sure. because analytically speaking, he has an insane profile, like incredible early production, incredible breakout age, incredible career production like touchdown machine his target share his market share in that offense was really really strong even playing with a guy like Rashad Bateman who's going to be a first round pick next year so like analytically and everything that you look for in in those profiles is like insanely off the charts good but for whatever reason the NFL seems to hate this guy you know like he wasn't even invited to the senior bowl he ended up actually pulling out of the shrine game i believe because he wanted to train for the combine all that didn't work out of the combine so like we don't have hardly any information on him in that sense and everything that you're hearing is like the nfl just was really low on him and then that bore out in in the draft he fell to the fifth round so how do you reconcile his insane production and his insane analytical profile with the thought that you know, maybe there's some some concerns teams had about his his I don't know what. Like I'm not even gonna speculate because I don't know what it is, but like for sure. whatever reason the NFL doesn't like him or didn't like him. There's part of it is like he wasn't very sudden as an athlete, but I don't think that's enough, honestly, for him to fall that far. Because there's like 
Higgins is not very sudden either. And he went in the high second round. So I don't know. I think he's just a very interesting case. It's going to be fun to see kind of how his career ends up going. He, he landed in a very intriguing situation in Tampa Bay where he could potentially, you know, play in the slot for them and be a big target for Brady. But he would be the guy, I guess, that like really stands out in that sense. I don't, I was just looking down the list. I couldn't, I don't really know of any other guys that have had sort of that stigma attached to him that went early on, you know, in that area. Yeah. I think most of the guys that have that sort of red flag tend to fall in draft capital. And we saw that happen with Tyler Johnson. So that is concerning for him. Uh, But we spent enough time looking backward. Let's start to look ahead and take a top-down view of the teams out there in the NFL, the offenses out there. And what I'm curious about are the teams that we should want to be heavily invested in, right? These teams that have multiple fantasy contributors. Danny, how do you think that listeners can better identify those offenses to heavily invest in for 2020? So... I don't I don't have the studies in front of me, but I know that like offenses are more um, sticky or whatever, like that from year to year, they're more reliable that they're going to be like good elite offenses year to year over any other, you know, over defense quarterbacks are the biggest reason for that. So like for me, it's all about the quarterback. Identify teams that you think are going to have a good quarterback or have a good quarterback and people maybe haven't bought into it yet and buy up shares of his weapons so like the the two obvious ones for me are like i'm buying up ancillary shares in cincinnati's offense like drew sample is free right now and i'm like i might as well just add him and, and hold on to him because i think burrow's a stud and i think in two years the 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 Bengals offense could be awesome it could be like the rams offense from a couple of years ago where it came out of nowhere and you're like damn it why didn't i have like all these guys in their offense you know and and i would say the same thing about miami you know just because i think two is an, an elite prospect the injury situation is certainly a real concern but you know he could have that offense humming in two to three years down the road and Preston Williams isn't necessarily free he's going to cost you but he's like a very interesting one to to grab right now Mike Kosicki is very interesting going that route where you're buying up sort of secondary players just hold on to them put them at the end of your bench it's super cheap right now and kind of just ride it from there I, I think to me that's like a good way of just investing in what I think are going to be really good quarterbacks and really good offenses down the line. Yeah, that makes sense. And the quarterback definitely drives the bus. So you you want to look at them first. But other things I like to look for are who's the coach, who's the play caller. We talked about, you know, Kyle Shanahan and his impact on Debo Samuel on what it might be for Brandon Ayuk. Of course, you want to look at the raw talent of the weapons. We, we mentioned that with the Cowboys, right? Uh, and the other thing I look for when trying to identify like a strong overall offense for fantasy is a condensed usage tree, right? Like a, a team that doesn't have too many offensive weapons so that you know that you're going to get guys who are going to get the touches, right? If you mm. look at the teams that are a little bit more spread out in terms of how many players they're using, then it becomes harder to hit on those guys week to week when you're setting your lineups. But when it comes to picking these teams, like it, you mentioned some of the ascending offenses, if we're just looking at 2020 for like redraft purposes, it's tough to do that with the known best offenses, right? Like the Kansas City Chiefs, because players on that team are all going to be drafted early, right? You look right. at where Mahomes is going. You look at where Tyreek Hill and the running backs and Travis Kelsey are going to go. You're just not going to be able to get those guys on the same roster to stack, let alone like even across multiple different drafts, like you're only going to have so many opportunities to actually get those players because they're going to be coveted by everybody. I think there are a few teams yeah. that fall into this. It's not a trap, but this situation where because of the hype around them, all of their players are kind of rising up draft boards. Like you look at the Cowboys and what they're putting together. You look at the Arizona Cardinals, the New Orleans Saints, the skill position guys on those teams are all really expensive. So you're going to pick them up when you can, but you're not necessarily going to be able to to get a lot of shares of a lot of those players and yeah. so you mentioned cincinnati and miami as you know dynasty plays to go after for sure for, for redraft is there like a budget or under the radar offense you think might produce an unexpected high volume of fantasy contributors and just to be clear i'm not necessarily talking about just stacking all in one roster <laughs> stacking is fine in some cases of course i'm talking more about grabbing pieces from these offenses just more often as we navigate through multiple drafts for different leagues, you know, building out our overall player portfolio. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I don't have like a really rock solid answer to that. Like my thought was Arizona, but you're right. Like a lot of their skill position guys are already super expensive. Like Hopkins isn't going to fall. Drake isn't going to fall. Like people know that they're good. I would say, 
the Steelers come to mind. People are kind of like short memory with like the fact that Roethlisberger didn't play at all last year. They think he's old and, and decrepit, and that might be true. But at the same time, you know, like two years ago, I think they threw more passes than any team in the NFL. You know, so there's certainly, I guess, opportunity there to buy them low, buy a lot of those players. Like Deontay Johnson could go off this year. Eric Ebron could go off, or even McDonald. Um, Vance McDonald could like have a renaissance because he's got a like a real quarterback. <laughs> like they had such terrible quarterback play last year, it was just incredible. So that's maybe I guess one team. It's not necessarily like no one knows about them, but like I think just people are like fading them a little bit because it was so ugly last year. And then the Rams are another team that come to mind. And again, now they're not going to you know Cooper Cup I think has fallen a little bit down draft boards and and um. Bobby Trees, my favorite player. Um, <laughs> Robert Woods. Best receiver in the NFL, according to some people. But yeah, no, I think he's, you know, I think those guys are not necessarily like falling far, but they're maybe a little bit undervalued. And then I'll say, at the same time, like Jared Goff, it would not surprise me at all if he had like a, a big, break, uh, not um, breakout, but like a big bounce back season. Like he just that offense, that scheme, like you were mentioning, you know, you want to chase good schemers and good play callers. I still think McVeigh is a really smart play caller, and I think he's going to get things figured out. I think last year things just kind of fell apart for him. They didn't have the horses up front that they really wanted. They, their offense kind of fell apart because of that. But by the end of the season, that offense was humming. So I don't know. I, th- I, I think those two teams kind of just feel like, I guess, like post-type sleepers or whatever. They're not under the radar, but just like they have a chance to bounce back next year. Yeah, that idea of kind of fading the teams that everybody got sick of last year, like the Steelers, I think is a really good point to make, right? And the Rams fall into this category as well, where they disappointed last year relative to expectation, and now everybody's forgotten about them. Yeah. So now in 2020, while everybody is fading those two teams, they're going to overdraft teams like the Titans, right? Where we we know some regression is due for Ryan Tannehill and his crazy touchdown rate, just like we know that positive regression is due for Jared Goff. And kind of along those same lines, I'm looking at the Chicago Bears. Like it's it's kind of oh that's a good it's kind of yeah. stinky, but like <laughs> you you look at how much people just hate that team and that offense. It just made all the pieces really affordable. Like and you get that condensed usage I was talking about with Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, and Anthony Miller. There aren't a yeah. whole lot of other big time playmakers. They did just sign Ted Ginn, so we'll see how much of a you know Taylor Gabriel impression he can do, but. I don't know. I just I like the idea of grabbing those guys here and there because they're not going to be as bad as we remember them being last year, especially because Nick Foles is there now, right? And he's dirt cheap. You might have to put up with a couple Mitchell Trubisky starts in the beginning of the year, but I think the writing's on the wall. That's going to be Nick Foles' team sooner rather than later. So they're they're one that I'm looking at. Yeah, I agree. Kind of along the same lines, uh, you mentioned the New York Giants adding their offensive line. Like they're another team where the pieces just continue to be really affordable. I think yeah. you can target Evan Ingram where he's going. Uh, Daniel Jones is is one of the the better late round quarterback options because of his rushing upside. And then Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate. W- one yeah. or two of those guys is going to be really productive. We just don't know which one it is. So nobody's one to pay up for those guys that means you're, we're going to get a value on at least one of them and so you might as well take some shots as you draft your various teams but the, the real overall point i want to make here is that you can look at all sorts of different offenses through this lens whether it be the houston texans right like deandre hopkins leaving hurts but i don't feel like the price on houston's other weapons has adjusted appropriately like david johnson still only costs a fifth round pick in best ball tens all the wideouts, you know, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, Kenny Stills, are all yep. going outside the first seven rounds on average. And all those guys still get to play with Deshaun Watson. Yes. Who's going to continue yeah, to throw because mm-hmm. I don't think the Texans did enough in the draft to drastically improve their defense. It was 26th <laughs> in DVOA last year on defense. So everything is lining up for that to be a high-volume offense, and people just aren't factoring that into the prices of these players. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I really like all those examples actually i think you're right like the giants are a sneaky one to target because you know if daniel jones makes a big second year jump then you know you're getting pretty damn good production out of all those guys slayton is a guy that i really like i thought he looked amazing as a rookie so we'll see if that carries over to the next year yeah i like it well danny that's all i got for you on this episode i really want to thank you for your time i know that you've been super busy with the draft so i appreciate you making the stop here at team app why don't you let the listeners know where they can find your stuff uh, Danny B. Kelly on Twitter. You can find me 
uh, my columns at theringer.com and my NFL draft guide at theringer.com as the top 100 from the entire draft, not just uh, skill position players or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's the big things. And then the fantasy football podcast, the fantasy podcast that we do on the Ringer NFL show feed. Good stuff. And listeners, in between checking out all of Danny's work, be sure to stop by 444.com, see all the great stuff that our team is working on. We've got a digital ton of player profilers on the site already, and we're adding to that tonnage every day. And earlier this week, Kevin Zatlukul dropped his annual articles forecasting 2020 rookie success for running backs and wide receivers using his three-year model. Then on top of all that, I did hear through the grapevine that John Paulson's latest rankings update is just around the corner. John is one of the industry's foremost experts in rankings accuracy, so you won't want to miss those. Otherwise, please hit me up on Twitter at Greg Sauce if you have any questions or feedback for the show. And please consider doing us a solid by leaving a positive rating and review for the podcast on iTunes. I'll be back again next week with some early reactions to the 2020 NFL schedule, which is set to drop tomorrow as we're recording this episode. So until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. Don't